Go with me to John chapter 8 this morning. I'd like to share with you there, as we continue our series, Light in the Midst of Darkness, the story of the encounter of a woman with the Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures read this way. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act of it. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. <coughs> but Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I not only need the power to deliver it, but to receive it this morning. I pray, God, for an anointing to break the yoke today as we hear your word. I thank you, Father God, for just doing mighty things today. Thank you, for God, for an ability, that, that supernatural ability to receive what you have for us today. I'm believing you for it. Our heart is filled with expectation, believing, God, that there will be freedom today over your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, here in the story, you find that Jesus is doing what he always does. And that is that Jesus is about his father's business. And as Jesus is about his father's business, he's in the temple and he's teaching the gospel and he's teaching to them the truth of the kingdom and people are coming in, they're accepting, they're receiving, they're being moved and they're being welcomed by Christ himself into the kingdom. And yet in the process of Jesus manifesting himself and moving in power and in glory and in the process of him doing this incredible work, there comes the Pharisees and the scribes who are the opponents of Jesus who are constantly trying to raise some beef 
with the Lord Jesus Christ, and they come to raise a spectacle in the midst of everyone. Oh, there they are. And they come to him, dragging alongside a woman who was caught in adultery. Now, this is very interesting, because this is not, the Bible doesn't say a woman that is known for her adulterous acts. It says that this woman is an adulterer, and that she was caught in the act of adultery. In other words, there was no way for her to deny the fact that she was an adulterer because she was caught in the act. And as she's being brought to Jesus, here are the Pharisees and their self-righteousness and the, and the scribes, and they say to Jesus, now Jesus, this woman is a sinner. She's an adulterer. We caught her in the act. We know for a fact that she's an adulterer. Now the law of Moses demands that she be stoned to death. But what do you say? See, the Pharisees and scribes are fed up with Jesus. They are jealous of the fact that Jesus preaches with a greater authority than they have. They are jealous of the fact that Jesus is, has, has greater influence than they have. Why? Because Jesus is walking the gospel that he preaches. And if you read forward in the gospel, they're more concerned about their position than they are about the reality of who Jesus is as Messiah. They say, if we let this go on, they, our place will be taken from us. And so when they come to Jesus, they think that they're going to set a trap, a pretty snare that will just trap him where he will have no way to go. Because if on one end, if Jesus says, let's stone her because she's an adulterer, then Jesus would be duplicitous. In other words, why would you stone her if you hang out with other sinners? What would you stone her if you keep hanging out with drunkards and sinners? Matthew is your disciple and he's a tax collector. You went into Zacchaeus' house and that guy robs everybody. Right? So if he says yes to the law of Moses and to stone her, then they would, number one, have a charge against him that his, he's not balanced or he's duplicitous in his judgment. Furthermore, if he said yes to the law of Moses and said yes to stoning her, then they may have charged Jesus with the fact that he took law into his own hands instead of trusting the Roman government. Then they would have accused, the, accused Jesus before the Roman government as trying to be king, establishing his kingdom in his own rule. But if he would have said, no, let's not stone her. If he would have said, no, we should not stone her. Then he's not following Moses' law. And if he doesn't follow Moses' law, then according to the Pharisees, then he is not the Messiah because the Messiah has to be perfect in the law. And so they, they thought to themselves, we got this perfect trap for him. There is nowhere he can go from this incredible snare that we have for him. Yet the Bible teaches that Jesus, when he heard the ridiculous uh, shouts, and the judgments that they had already made in their minds, followed with a great crowd about them, Followed with a crowd that had with their fist stones ready to be destined to stone someone to death. In the midst of all that, the Bible says Jesus just simply ignored them. But they just kept pressing and pressing. And Jesus finally looked at them and said, Okay, let the one who's committed no sin throw the first stone. Let he who is among you who has no sin, let him be the one to cast the first stone. 
And he looked at all of them. Can you imagine the blazing, fiery eyes of Jesus looking at every single one, which, by the way, he created himself. Is he, in a sense, is laying judgment on every person there that they are not worthy of laying a judgment because they themselves are sinners, unworthy of declaring death on someone else. And he says, let him who's committed no sin throw the first stone. The Bible says that one by one, conviction fell upon them. And beginning from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to throw down the stones that they had clenched in their fists, ready to destroy someone. Interesting enough, when they've all gone and no one judged the woman, there was Jesus. And Jesus looked at that woman and said, Woman, where are all those people who accuse? Where are your accusers? She says, They're not here, Lord. And the Lord with his blazing eyes of fire and compassion of perfect justice and mercy all at the same time, looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And he makes a declaration to everyone who was there. By the way, he was still teaching a whole lot of people there. And he makes a declaration to everyone. I am the light of the world. Whoever walks in me doesn't walk in darkness anymore. Now, what is it that we need to receive from this incredible story? Number one, this is something that's intriguing that you and I cannot forget. That is this. Jesus was without sin, and he didn't throw a stone. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus was without sin, and he didn't throw a stone. See, you have to understand that Jesus was perfect in all his ways. He is the creator of the world here in the flesh. He was without sin. He could have easily said, follow me, guys. He could have been the first one to cast the first stone. But yet, with all the power and authority that he had, he chose not to act out in justice, not to act out in perfect justice, but instead he chose to act out in radical, radical uncomfortable mercy. He looked at her and said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus was perfect. He was without sin. He could have cast a stone and yet he did it. And why is that important? That's important not only to the woman who was caught in adultery, but that's important to you and I. Because a paint a picture, it paints a picture to you and I about who our God is. Who is our God? A God who, even though he is perfect in justice, he chooses mercy over judgment. Are you with me today? A God who is, even though he's perfect in justice, he chooses mercy over judgment when it comes to us. Why? Because his judgment fell on his son so that we could be forgiven. Bible clearly tells us this, this reality. What is the reality the scriptures teach us about Jesus? For the Son of God was sent into the world not to judge the world, but that the world through him may be saved. So here is Jesus in the flesh, who by the way has been given all judgment. The Bible says that the Father, in John chapter 5 verse 22, that the Father has given all judgments and given it and entrusted all judgment into the hands of the Son. And here is Jesus, the judge, 
who looks at this woman who committed adultery and it says to her, this is my verdict. I do not condemn. I, I do not condemn. I acquit. I do not condemn. Go and sin no more. Now you and I have to get this. Because oftentimes when I was studying and I was preparing this sermon, I said, God, if, if you can just give me the words to help me get across this reality to your people, the reality that you're a God of mercy, that you're a God of compassion, and that your mercy is so great that if we would just run towards you, repent of our sins, you will not let us be put to shame. If we would just receive that this morning. Said, oh God, if you would just help me communicate to your people today that you're such a merciful, such a kind, compassionate God, that if we choose today to walk away from the sins that we've committed and the sins that we've lived in, you will not look in judgment, but rather you will forgive us and restore us to our rightful place in you. I mean, look at the way that Jesus walked and the way that he did his life. He's hanging out with Matthew, who's a tax collector who was robbing the people of God. He's hanging out with Zacchaeus who also robbed the people of God. He's allowing a woman who had a terrible testimony to wash his feet with perfume and dry them with her hair. He's constantly hanging out with people who are just like you and I, misfits. Are you with me? He's hanging out with sinners, people who can't get it right if they tried. And he's constantly showing compassion and mercy. I, I hope that you understand the fact that Jesus didn't throw the first stone means this, that him who should throw the first stone chooses not to throw the first stone because he loves you so much, he much prefer to restore you. To allow God to restore you today. He is so good that he did not throw the first stone. And that's the way that we need to see our relationship with God. Not a God who's looking to judge us at every turn, at every mistake, but a God is looking to draw us close to him. Secondly, second point that I think we need to get from the story is this. When you look at this point of scripture, forgiveness is found where sin is exposed. Forgiveness is found where sin is exposed. When you look at this woman, it was obvious that she was an adulterer, right? And she was caught in the act. Her sin was completely and utterly exposed. But it was there that the Savior of the world looked at her, and instead of judging her, he extended mercy and forgave her. Forgiveness is found where sin is. It's exposed. Let me just make a claim that I hope doesn't offend you because it's the truth about you and it's the truth about me. And that is this. You and I are sinners. We're not good. We're not good. We're not good. Nothing about us is good other than good intentions that pave the road to hell. Nothing about us is good. The only part good about us is that we're damaged goods. According to the scripture, the Bible says that when sin entered into the world, that we have all now the propensity to sin and a sinful nature that is within us. That's the reality for each 
and every one of us. And even when we try to do good, we have this nagging reality, this nagging truth, this nagging push to do sin, to do the things that do not please God. That is the reality for every person here. God is aware of that reality. And God is not intending for us to live our lives trying to cover that reality from him as if he doesn't know that we're sinners. He is completely aware of the reality that you and I are sinners and that our hearts are inclined to do evil all of the time, Genesis chapter 6 says. God, the Bible says that the heart of humanity is inclined to do evil all of the time. That's the verdict of our condition outside of the mercy and grace of God. Are you with me? But because of his grace and mercy, Jesus died on the cross not to judge us for our sins, but to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. You see, so what I, what I want you to understand about this is not that you should not feel guilty over the fact that you and I are sinners. It's not that you should walk around life saying, well, I'm a sinner, I might as well sin. But rather that you should understand the love, that you would understand the love of God, that even though you and I are broken, even though you and I are damaged, he loved us so much that he paid a price, but it requires for us to do something. It requires for us to admit and confess we are sinners in need of grace and mercy. We are sinners in need of grace and mercy. The perfect grace and mercy and forgiveness of God happens when people repent and acknowledge I'm a couple fries short of a happy meal. I'm in need of the same grace. I'm in need of the same mercy that the adulterous woman received. There's nothing different between you and I and me and, 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 and this adulterous woman. Jesus looked at the crowd and said, whoever has no sin, let him throw the first stone. And all of them declared, we're all sinners and dropped their stones. We're all sinners. And all of us, if we're going to know the mercy and grace of Jesus, we're all going to have to drop our stones and admit we're all sinners. We're all sinners. I don't have judgments on anyone. I cannot even judge myself because my judgment is incorrect. You know, oftentimes that's why I take time to speak about the reality that I am saved by grace. This is why I've confessed to you that I'm constantly living a life of fighting the good fight and making sure that my mind keeps clean of pornography and making sure that I live a life free from those things. And I've expressed to you how those things have me bound. And I, and I talk to you about those things, not because I glorify sin, but because I want my sin to be exposed. Because I want to find the mercy of God at every turn of my life. It is important that you and I are able to admit this reality that we're all in need of a Savior. Matthew Henry said it this way. Our care should not, our care should be more to save our souls than to save our credit. Our care should be more to save our souls than to save our credit. In other words, instead of being worried about your reputation, you should be worried about your eternity. Oh, it's much better, Matthew Henry said, that your sin should bring shame instead of damnation. It's much better that your sins set in order before us conviction than condemnation. Are you with me? That makes sense to you? That is much better to deal with the reality of sin to the point that we feel conviction and repent of it than to act like ignore it and one day meet our condemnation. 
Forgiveness is found by those whose sin is exposed. And then the last thing I'll share with you is this. God's saving grace is the same grace that makes us holy. Okay? God's saving grace is the same grace that makes us holy. Jesus looked at the adulterous woman and he said, where are your accusers? No one accuses you, neither do I. And then he says something very strong, very poignant. Go and sin no more. He forgave. He forgave. And he gave, and she, he gave her direct, a direct command. Go and sin no more. That's, that's direct command. It's not that Jesus is easy on sin. Jesus is very tough on sin. Look at what sin cost him. It's not that Jesus turns a blind eye to sin. No, he died on the cross for your sin because he saw it with his full eyes wide open. Right? He paid the price for your sins. But he also looks at us and says, go and sin no more. Titus, I'm going to read this scripture to you. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Let me repeat that again. For the grace of God. What is the grace of God? That which we don't deserve. For the grace of God. That brings salvation has appeared to all of us and it teaches us to deny the things that are not godly. It teaches us to deny the lust of the world and it teaches us to live righteous lives. Can I say this to you? When someone receives that, the true grace of God, when someone receives the true grace of God, there's a burning passion in them to live a righteous life. I be, I'm an old school Pentecostal. I believe in holiness. I believe in the grace of God, but I believe in holiness. I believe that when someone comes to Jesus, something happens in them. That they are so distraught over the sin in their lives that they hate the sin that they so easily enjoy. I believe that salvation happens when a man comes to the altar and they weep. A man or woman comes to the altar before the presence of God, wherever they may be, and they weep because they recognize that they've been saved and forgiven. But then they get up the next day with a fight in their eyes saying, I will not be overcome by sin anymore. I believe that true grace never says things like, you know what? It's okay. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. True grace never says that. True grace says, how can I? How can I crucify my Lord all over again? True grace is not okay with sin. True grace is not okay with sin. True grace doesn't come to church Sunday after Sunday living in sin, unconvicted, unchanged, unmoved. That's not true grace. And it's not true grace because that's not looking at the fiery eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not walking day by day with him because we cannot walk day by day with Jesus and live in sin. True grace would not allow that. True grace would not allow that. He looked at her and said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And don't get me wrong. 
I struggle with sin. I struggle with shortcoming. But I hate it. I struggle with sin. I fall short all the time. But I hate it. With every fiber in me, I hate it. And I refuse to accept that this is the norm. And I get up again. And when I fall, I ask, Lord, give me the grace to fall forward again. Fall forward into your arms. I'll do whatever it takes to live a holy life before you. No one will see the face of God without holiness. Now what became of this woman who Jesus forgave? Who knows? Maybe she was the same woman who anointed the feet of Jesus with her hair. Maybe not. Who knows? One thing is for certain. She was forgiven and sent by the Lord to sin no more. And so have you and I. And you and I have something so special. And that something is the Holy Spirit. Jesus does not only forgive us. He does not only send us out, but he sends us with his Holy Spirit. And it is by the power of his Holy Spirit that he makes us holy. Amen. Amen. That doesn't mean that it doesn't take work. But it means that we can be holy because greater is he that lives in us than him that lives in the world. Are you with me so far? So what will you do with his forgiveness? What will you do with his command? Would you stand with me today? I didn't intend to go in this direction as I prepared this message, but can I say something to you? I'm concerned for the church. I'm concerned for the church. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church as a whole, universally, us included. I'm concerned for the church. I'm going to say it again. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord. Without being purified by the blood of the Lamb and walking in righteousness. And I, we have to understand that that comes through coming to Jesus and believing in Him and trusting in Him for salvation. But after we've received that forgiveness and grace, He calls us, He gives us a mandate to walk in holiness. He understands that we're not going to be perfect, but He expects us to be perfected by repentance. He expects us to continue to trust on his mercy and grace and continue to move forward and grow in holiness. And I, I have to tell you this, church, and I tell you this because I love you, and I tell you this with a great burning in my heart, and with a great passion in my heart. Lack of victory in the church is because there's no holiness in the church. How can there be victory when there's no holiness? How can there be testimonies? There's no holiness. There's no purity. If our lives are of the world and, and of the church and then of the world and of the church, when things go bad and of the world and of the church, either we belong to the Lord or we don't. There is no duplicity in him. His forgiveness is great. It's downright uncomfortable. But he's looking at you and I and we have to make a decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that, and that for some of us, that means that you and I have to be very serious about our, our walk with Jesus. And we need to begin to walk in some serious repentance and accountability and ask our brothers or sisters in Christ to hold us accountable. And I'm not telling you to do something I'm not doing. I, I have accountability in my life. I have brothers that I call and I say, hey, I need you to hold me accountable in this area. I'm really struggling here. I am being tempted left and right. If you don't, I'm, I, I need you to help me to make sure that I don't fall short. I have people who are calling me and asking me, how are you doing? Are your eyes holy? Are you looking at things that are honorable? Are you receiving the grace of God? Are you receiving the same grace that you're preaching? I want to live a holy life before the Lord. He's worthy because he's worthy. But church, I want to charge you today. Be holy as your God is holy. Don't look for me to counsel you when you're living in sin. Don't look for the church to bail you out. Don't look for Jesus to bail you out when you're living in sin. There are certain consequences that you, Jesus cannot bail you out of. He could forgive you, but you won't be bailed out of all your consequences. Father, today, as we turn to you, we thank you for your precious blood. And we dare not trample on it. We dare not take it for granted and think that we can just come Sunday after Sunday to the altar. And, 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 and receive a blessed prayer and go back to our own sin. God forbid us to ever come to the altar for just a blessing without a spirit or a heart of repentance. Yes, yes, for the altar was made for sacrifices. So let our hearts be sacrificed at the altar, God. Bring holiness back into your church, God. Maybe you're here today and you're just like me. You're here and you, you recognize I am a sinner. I am in need of God's grace. And today, pastor, maybe you're saying, uh, today I want to give my life to the Lord. I said, I want to give my life to the Lord. I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And today I want to make a commitment to give my life to Jesus and to follow Him. If that's you, right where you're at, would you raise your hand? Right where you're at. Amen. I see your hands. I see your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, right now you see those hands. Those who have raised their hands, they're saying, I want to give my life to the Lord. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a, of a Savior, in need of mercy. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness, and I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you, God, that right now your blood will wash away all the sins. I thank you, God, that right now you've given us a new heart. Father, you're writing our names in the Lamb's book of life. And that you're putting a passion and a yearning for holiness deep in us, God. That we would hate sin and love you, God. And that we would every day walk away from sin to follow after you. Yes. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these new precious souls who have given their lives to you today. I pray now take their hearts and fill them with passion to live holy lives for you. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Pastor, there's besetting sin in my life. There's sin in my life. I've grown comfortable. I've grown comfortable with church culture. I've allowed myself to come to church and enjoy the blessing while not living with, while not being uncomfortable with the sin in my life. And I acknowledge it and I expose it today. I am comfortable with sin in my life. And I don't want to be anymore. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Yes. Yes. Father, right now in Jesus' name, you see all of those hands. Father, right now, they're saying they want to be faithful to you. They want to honor you with their hearts, with their minds, with their meditation. Lord, today I thank you, God, that they would, that you would now through your Holy Spirit would just fill them with passion for holiness. Lord, I thank you that right now wherever your Holy Spirit was quenched or pushed out, God. Oh, God, I thank you that you would bring revelation to that. We, we repent of it right now, Lord God. And we say, Holy Spirit, speak to us again. Speak to us again. Speak to us again. Speak to us again. Move us again. Oh, I, I, I remember how I used to desire to read the word. I remember how I used to desire to pray. How I used to desire to be with the people of God. Put that in me again, God. Awaken me again. God, do a mighty work today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now listen, let's do something today. The altar is a place of sacrifice unto God. It's a place that we come to and we're saying, God, we surrender all. And we want to give our lives to you. It's not predominantly a place where we come to get the blessing of God. As much as it is a place where we say, God, we give you our lives. Come what may, our lives are yours. And it just so happens that he's a good God that he blesses. Praise God that we serve a good God. But you're here today and you feel like you need to make a declaration that today you surrender all. You surrender all to him. The altars are open. Would you come to the altar? Would you come to the altar and offer up your life to the Lord? The altars are open. The altars rose. Offer your lives to Him. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May God bless you. May His face shine on you. Walk in holiness and love your God. Amen. Bless you. Have a good day. Altars rose.